It is the 12th Sunday that we've now gathered together online. And what I'm noticing uh, over the past 12 weeks is people are becoming more and more on edge. Uh, we're kind of unraveling a little bit uh, as individuals, as a nation, and even as a globe. One of the things I'm observing is that even extroverts are wandering out of their house looking for people to talk to. I'm noticing that extroverts are no longer freaking out, but they're, they're now lying in the fetal position and they're not really sure what to do. I'm observing some of our type A personalities sleeping until noon. I'm watching some of our people who do CrossFit stay at home now doing crossword puzzles. And things have gotten really, really weird. They've gotten really strange and we're starting to kind of freak out a little bit uh, as, a, as a community and as a world. And, and as I see all these things, it just makes me wonder how much longer is this gonna go? And the truth is, we're going to get through this, uh, but the, the question before us, I think, is what are we going to look like on the other side of the wilderness journey that we are going through uh, with the COVID-19? See, what I would like to think is that on the other side of the wilderness, that you and I will come out of the wilderness. We will be like Jesus when he came out of the wilderness. It says he came out of the wilderness filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. That's what I want for you and me. But I'm also aware that there's a very good likelihood that you and I uh, could come out of the wilderness, uh, much like Tom Hanks came out of Castaway, uh, big wild hair, crazy eyes, talking to a volleyball named, Be uh, named Wilson. And I just wonder, are any of you talking to volleyballs these days? If so, you need help because that can also happen as you spend a lot of time in the wilderness, right? I mean, we just kind of start to lose it. Things kind of start to fray. We kind of start to come unglued and we're not really sure where this is going. You know, I want to remind you um, that uh, extreme heat and pressure can do incredible things. Heat and pressure have the ability to break steel, but heat and pressure also have the ability to forge a diamond. And I don't know about you, but I don't want us to be broken during this time of extreme pressure but I want us to be forged into something new. I want us to come out of this wilderness of the coronavirus as something brand new that God has created. Hey, I wanna say welcome uh, to Faith Lutheran Church. If you've been on this journey over the past few weeks with us, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Into the Wilderness. And uh, each week we are looking at stories from the Old Testament, from the New Testament of, of God's people who have traveled through the wilderness, uh, all metaphorically uh, and most of them literally tra traveling through the wilderness. And today uh, we're going to look at another character of scripture, a guy by the name of Elijah. You know, one of the things about uh, looking at characters from the Bible is that these characters uh, are not like uh, Aesop's fables where uh, they're heroes or, or heroines. Uh, there are no heroes in the Bible. 
The Bible is filled, uh, is, is a, a story about God and God alone, who is the only hero. All the other characters in scripture are like you and me. They are flawed human beings uh, who are just very normal, uh, who oftentimes even, uh, they mess up over and over and over. And that's certainly uh, the case with Elijah. And we think about uh, the Old Testament prophet Elijah, and and maybe we have these grandiose, these big ideas of all the things that he did. And Elijah certainly did some uh, incredible, miraculous things, but he was a flawed guy like you and me, and we should never forget that. And so as we're reading scripture, we need to always remember God and God alone is the hero, and God uses flawed people like you and me and Elijah uh, to do God's work. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. Uh, And before we get there, uh, let me just kind of set up the story for you in 1 Kings 19, uh, the story of Elijah. Where we pick up in 1 Kings 18 is Elijah's on his game. He is on top of the world. Uh, Elijah is an Old Testament prophet. He's bold. He's courageous. uh, And he does some extraordinary things. And what we learn in 1 Kings 18 is there's Elijah standing before 450 false prophets of Baal. And he's challenging them to a contest, and he could lose his own life in this this challenge. And he takes them on single-handedly. He says, guys, let's have a contest. And so uh, what Elijah does is he builds an altar all by himself. Then he digs a trench around this altar. Then he goes out and uh, gets some firewood in the woods uh, to put on the altar. And then he slaughters a bull and puts the bull on the altar. And then he has this contest uh, with the prophets of Baal. And he looks up to God and he says, God, fire come down, send fire down. And God just sends down this fire and burns up the altar. And and Elijah, he just cannot be stopped. And if that's not enough, after all this, Elijah goes to the wicked king, King Ahab, and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to travel from this altar uh, to Jezreel uh, in your chariot. And so the King Ahab jumps in his chariot and he starts uh, riding his chariot uh, 15 miles uh, to, uh, to Jezreel. And this is what we read um, uh, in 1 Kings 18. Ahab rode off in his chariot and went to Jezreel. Verse 46, but the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He girded up his loins, which means he tucked in his shirt uh, on his, uh, his cloak and ran in front of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. For 15 miles, Elijah outruns Ahab in a chariot. This guy is on fire. Nobody can stop him. Uh, in, in, in 1 Kings 18, Elijah is like Superman, Batman, the Flash, Captain America, uh, all wrapped in one, and nobody can stop him. And so if I've given you enough time to get to, to uh, 1 Kings 19, 
I'm going to invite us uh, to bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the wilderness journeys that you take us through. And God, we thank you for the men and women of Scripture uh, whom you have uh, guided faithfully uh, through the wilderness journeys, just as you are guiding us today. And Lord, as we are uh, preparing our hearts to look at this great prophet of the Old Testament, Elijah, uh, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 1 Kings uh, 19, beginning with verse 1. Now Ahab, King Ahab, told Queen Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets, the, the, all those false prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So clearly, Jezebel is not impressed with Elijah. She's not only not impressed with him, uh, but she taunts him and she threatens him uh, with his life and how the other prophets ended up. She said, you know what? You're not that great. And she throws out an insult and she threatens to kill him. Now, you know, I've just kind of shared with you a little bit about the story of Elijah from 1 Kings 18. He was a pretty incredible guy. And if you've ever read scripture before, if you're familiar with the biblical narrative, there's really three main eras of miracles, of extraordinary super, supernatural occurrences going on in scripture. And the first one is in the Old Testament, uh, where Moses and the ten plagues and, and God parting the Red Sea. Remember that? It's just miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle with Moses. Uh, and it's just God just showing up so clear, so evident uh, time and time again. The second era, uh, of course, is in the New Testament when Jesus shows up and he performs miracle after miracle after miracle. And then the miracles uh, continue on uh, in the New Testament with the book of Acts and, and the early church. And we, we read about these signs and wonders and all these miraculous happenings in the early church. And the third era of miracles that were they're just really pronounced and clear and showing up is in uh, Elijah uh, and in his protege, Elisha, in their life. And God uses this season uh, to perform miracle after miracle after miracle in very tangible ways because God's trying to call and welcome God's people, the Israelites, back into a relationship with him. So in this time, nobody knows more about miracles in the supernatural than Elijah. And here's Queen Jezebel trash-talking him and telling him that she's going to take care of him. And, and we've, just, we've, we've read and, and we know this story that Elijah has already faced many powerful people, incredibly extraordinary uh, people. Who is Queen Jezebel? Does she have any idea who she is messing with, uh, uh, with Elijah? I mean, this guy makes kings and he breaks kings. And there's Jezebel. Hey, Elijah. 
and she starts trash talking and messing with him. And, and if you were standing there, if I were standing there, I don't know, I would be so smug and I would be thinking to myself, she has no idea who she's talking to. And I would say, are you kidding me? Do you have any idea who this guy is? He's Elijah. We're Elijah? 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 Where's Elijah? He's gone. Let's pick it up and see where he went. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. Now, what you need to know is uh, Beersheba is on a, a town on the, or the, a region in the southernmost part of uh, Israel. It would be like be coming up to the, the Rio Grande Valley just before you go into, the Mexi into Mexico. You're like, okay, getting ready to leave the United States. That was Beersheba, and that's where he's heading. And then it says he left his servant there, which symbolically means uh, he fired all his staff and quit his job he was done well he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and again symbolically uh, this is uh, Elijah's way of saying I'm done I'm finished I quit I'm no longer working with God's people the Israelites I've had it that's where Elijah goes we got to ask ourselves how is it that a man so incredibly, almost superhero-like in chapter 18 turns into this wimpy guy in chapter 19? How does that even happen? He runs away, quits his job, and says, I'm done. Well, the truth of the matter is, Elijah, as I've already mentioned, he's just a normal guy like you and me. And he has good days, and he has bad days. And some days he's on top of the world, and other days he's running away, and he just wants to throw in the towel and quit. He's really nothing special. And God meets him in the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He says, I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Elijah has hit his limits. He can't take it anymore. He's exhausted. He's worn out. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. And I don't know about you, but I think we can all relate to Elijah those moments in our lives where we've just had it. We're just done, right? We throw up our arms. We look at God and say, God, I surrender. I quit. I am worn out. You know, the Elijah's predicament reminds me uh, of a book I read about a year ago. A guy by the name of Kerry Newhoff wrote a book called Didn't See It Coming. And what I really like is uh, the subtitle of this book. 
Overcoming the seven greatest challenges that no one expects, but everyone experiences. And I just want to read the opening part of the book to you. He says, no one in his 20s or 30s sets out to end up feeling empty or cynical. At least I didn't. I don't know any college graduates who want to become irrelevant and morally compromised before their 40th birthday. I can't imagine men and women at any age who want their personal relationships to collapse under the weight of pride or the lack of basic emotional intelligence. Yet each of these things happens every day to people we know, people we care about, people we love. Actually, it might be happening to you right now, though you remain completely unaware because that's exactly how it happens. The implosions come as a surprise. And then he writes, and that's what happened to me. And so he writes about these seven different uh, experiences, cynicism, pride, compromise, disconnection, irrelevance, burnout, and emptiness that none of us plans for. But as we go through life, we experience these challenges. As I read through that book, I remember thinking to myself, yep, I've experienced a few of those challenges myself. Wasn't looking for it, wasn't planning on it, but this implosion all of a sudden just showed up at my door. And that's where Elijah was at. It just showed up at his door. He just kept going until he couldn't take it anymore. And it's a reminder that you and I, all of us have limits in life. We can only go so far. We are not superhuman. We are not superheroes. We are just human beings that God continues to invite into a relationship and walk with. And so we look at the, as the story continues on and how God deals with uh, this broken man uh, who's experiencing incredible pressure uh, in his life. And at this point in time, we don't know if Elijah is going to break like steel or he's going to be forged into a diamond. Verse 5. Then Elijah lay down under a bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. Now, if you've ever had angel food cake, this might be the very biblical reference for angel food cake. An angel came and gave uh, Elijah some baked goods. I don't know, but I just, I just got to wonder. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Again, sometimes it's just a, a, a good meal uh, and a nap, uh, some rest that gives us a fresh perspective. Then it says, uh, strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. So now God's speaking to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. 
So Elijah goes on a pity party with God. He starts whining and complaining. Hey, God, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I might as well go eat some worms. I'm the only one left. What's your problem, God? He complains and whines and moans. And I can kind of relate to Elijah because I can go to a, the, a place of self-pity pretty, uh, quite easily. Uh, sometimes I wonder if self-pity is a, a spiritual gift that some of us have. We just naturally go to that place. And that's what Elijah's doing. He's whining and complaining to God. God, I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm weary. And then the story continues. And I love this because this is God's response. God's response to Elijah. He's so gracious to Elijah. He can handle the whining, the complaining, the pity parties. And I think we ought to hear this, that God can handle our pity parties and our whining and complaining as well, because this is how God responds to Elijah. The Lord said, he just ignores his complaining. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Sometimes gentle whisper is translated a soft breeze. Other times it's translated in the silence. See, oftentimes we're looking for God in the wilderness in winds, in earthquakes, in fires. And we want God to show up and do something big. But that's not how God showed up to Elijah in the story. He showed up in a gentle breeze and in a whisper. And I love this part of the story because it reminds us that just when we think we've got uh, our, our arms wrapped around God, who we know God is, he shows up and does something very different. He says, I don't need you to do anything. I don't need you to say anything. I just need you, and I just want to invite you in your wilderness journey to sit down and rest. You know, as we're traveling through the wilderness, I wonder if one of the best things we can do is just rest. To surrender, like Elijah surrenders. God, I'm tired. I'm worn out. You know, the interesting thing about uh, this coronavirus is it's thrown us, all of us, all, all off of our game, right? Off of our rhythms, off of our routines, off of all the things that we accomplish in life. And even as we go through uh, this coronavirus, this COVID-19, this sheltering at home, this quarantine uh, time of, of just sitting at home, we, we keep trying to go, don't we? 
We keep trying to accomplish all the things that we think we're supposed to be accomplishing. And we keep talking about all the stuff that we're not doing uh, before the coronavirus, before the wilderness experience showed up. And we continue to compare and we continue to compare and we just try and uh, just adjust a little bit and we, and we get more and more frustrated, don't we? I think that's why we're coming undone with ourselves. We're not used to this pace in our lives. We're not used to just sitting and resting. You know, uh, last summer, uh, we did a five-week sermon series on Sabbath rest. And uh, I got to say, it was really interesting and it was really fun uh, to have conversations with so many of you about what it means to experience Sabbath rest. Because um, I think conceptually, biblically, uh, many of you thought to yourselves and even said to me, hey, that sounds like a good idea. Um, you know, really good idea that we should be doing some Sabbath rest, um, some taking it easy. Um, but I got to say um, that I'm not really sure you were buying that whole sermon series of Sabbath rest last summer. Because I, I didn't hear many of you uh, in the days, weeks, and months afterwards saying, you know, I've really changed my calendar. I've stopped being so busy. Um, and, and maybe I just did a lousy job teaching. That, that's very possible, right? But I wonder if it could also be possible that you just weren't buying it. That Sabbath rest is part of God's design for God's creation. I don't know. You know, here we, we, we find ourselves forced, forced to rest, forced to sit, and we're not really sure what to do. And God has told us time and time again throughout Scripture that Sabbath rest is a gift. It's meant to come to us as a place for us to just sit and rest. And I think one of the reasons why we struggle so much with Sabbath rest is because we are doers. We are accomplishers. We are people that want to rest on our own schedule. We don't want God to dictate when we rest and when we don't rest. We want to surrender on our own terms. And it's a dilemma for us, isn't it? It's a dilemma for us uh, to, to, like uh, Elijah, uh, to surrender our lives uh, in this place. Because like Elijah, we want to do all the stuff. We want to accomplish all the things. You know, this, uh, this dilemma of uh, surrender, uh, it reminds me of a story uh, that I read uh, a couple of years ago called The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, which incidentally, uh, John Bunyan wrote The Pilgrim's Progress uh, while he was in quarantine for 12 years. 12 years, John Bunyan was in jail. Now, I don't know what you're doing with your uh, quarantine, but John Bunyan wrote The, the Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, and, and one of the things I love about this story uh, is that it reminds us, it's, it's an allegory, it's, it's fiction. Uh, it was written uh, in the 1600s, long before Lord of the Rings, uh, long before the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, but that's the genre in which it was written. It was a, it was a Christian allegory, and for, for hundreds of years, it was the story uh, that Christian men and women uh, would tell to one another to remind each other about this Christian 
Christian uh, uh, journey, this discipleship journey uh, with God uh, on the way to an eternal life. And so this allegory uh, starts out uh, with a guy by the name of Christian, and he's on a journey uh, going through the wilderness, and he's on a very narrow path. And then one day, Christian slips, he makes a mistake, and he goes off the path. And it was a bad enough mistake uh, that he ends up getting captured uh, by a giant. And uh, this giant uh, was none too nice. And, and the giant's name was Despair. And the giant, Despair, takes Christian uh, to a castle uh, which was called Doubt. And here's where the allegory uh, comes into play. The Christian is on the journey, uh, on, on the path uh, toward eternal life when he goes off the trail. He's captured by despair, and he's locked up in a castle of doubt. And then the story um, kind of gets a little strange, let's say. Let's say that uh, Bunyan gets very creative with the story, because the next day, um, the giant uh, goes and talks to his wife. He puts up his club, kicks up his feet, and Mrs. Giant walks in, and she says, hey, how was your day? And he says, well, not too bad. I actually caught this Christian. I brought him home. He's downstairs right now. He's locked up in despair, and he's, he's very interesting uh, to be around, and I just beat on him, and, and the uh, Mrs. Giant's like, ah, that's great. Um, hey, tomorrow, uh, when you go to see uh, Christian uh, in the Castle of Doubt, uh, what I want you to do is show him all the skulls uh, that have previously been put in the castle. And then after you show him the skulls, then I want you to beat him good. And he's like, all right. So the next day, the giant uh, goes, and just before he's getting ready to beat the Christian, uh, he, he shows him the skulls, and, uh, and, and then he beats him up, and then he goes home to his wife, and his wife's like, how'd it go? And he's like, actually pretty good. I did exactly what you did. You told me to do. And she's like, hey, that's great. Hey, um, tomorrow when you go uh, back to uh, beat up this Christian, I wonder if you wouldn't mind uh, showing him the chains um, that you've got him captured up in and remind him that he can't break the chains. Uh, and then beat him up. And the giant's like, hey, great idea. So the next day he goes and he shows Christian the chains and says, hey, remember, you can't break these chains. And then he beats him up. And, and at this point in time, you're going, this is kind of a sick story, right? I mean, what's up with the, the giant's wife? She's kind of, uh, she's a little bit sick, right? That she just wants to torture uh, this Christian guy uh, and coach uh, coach her giant husband in real time. What is up with the giant's wife? And the key to understanding the giant's wife is her name. Her name is diffidence. Now, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know what diffidence means, so I had to look it up. And, and here's what uh, diffidence means. Uh, diffidence uh, means reluctant hesitant, uh, reticent, or shy. It, it means you're not really kind of sure of yourself. And so what's going on, what Bunyan is trying to teach you and me and Christians for the past 350 years, is this is what reluctance 
uh, what shyness does in our relationship with God when we veered off the path. We're not sure uh, what to do, and so we're, we're, we're reticent to do anything. Well, the good news is, uh, in the story, uh, another the giant captures another guy, and this guy's name is Hope. And Hope gets locked up and chained up uh, next to Christian. And Hope starts speaking into Christian's life. And over time, Christian begins to hear the words of Hope. Pretty soon, uh, Hope and Christian decide that they're going to pray to Almighty God to help them out. And that's exactly what they do, is they pray this prayer. God, help us out. We need help. We don't know what to do. We're locked up in chains, and despair continues to beat us up, and we're in this castle of doubt. And after they finish praying, they open their eyes, and all of a sudden, Christian says, Ah, I just remembered something. A key. The king gave me a key of promise. And so the the Christian takes this key and he unlocks the chains for him and, and, uh, and hope. And they walk out of the castle of doubt. And the chapter ends, and I gotta say, it's it's a very unusual uh, chapter in the book. It's it's one of the most anticlimactic chapters that you could imagine because they just unlock the chains and walk out the door. It's so simple. It's so easy, and yet this is our dilemma as well, isn't it? We think we're supposed to go through life and it's supposed to be so much more difficult. And how how do we navigate? And Bunyan tells us the Christian is on this journey of the narrow path. He veers off on occasion and he finds himself in doubt. And he's being beat up by despair. And the only way out is to listen to the words of hope. And to be reminded that God has given us a key of promise. And this key of promise is a promise of rescue. It's a promise of freedom. And sometimes it's, it's just that easy. And we wrestle with this dilemma. And Elijah certainly wrestled with this dilemma. And God invites him to just put up his feet and surrender to rest. You know, later Jesus would come along and remind his people how they ought to navigate the wilderness. In Matthew 11, Jesus looked at his friends and said to me, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let us pray. Oh God, as we journey through this wilderness of pressure, of stress, God, we continue to battle, and some of us are feeling undone. But God, you remind us that you are good, that you are faithful, and that you give us keys to your promise, the promise of rescue, the promise of freedom, the promise of rest. God, we thank you that you give us everything we need. Help us, Lord, to stop battling, to stop fighting, but to truly rest in your arms and allow you to navigate us through the wilderness. Lord, each and every day as we journey through this wilderness, like Elijah, teach us to surrender and say, God, I'm tired, I'm worn out, I'm weary. Give me what I need today and provide, Lord, as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.